Right, like, should I do something with that, or is this okay? Uh, no, you look great. One second. <laughs> Sorry. It's all good. I'm I'm I text with my friend Eli in Pittsburgh. He um he's in this band Go to Beds, so they're coming. He's coming to the reading on Friday. So he wants um I when I I never like really had bands sign records for me when I was mm -hmm. younger, but now I do. But I usually have them um sign for um for the kids like i have them make it out to the kids yeah so um years ago i bruno was probably five or six mm -hmm. i had him sign a go to beds record for him and eli drew a spitting penis <laughs> a spitting cock on it like hey bruno stay cool and i was like <laughs> eli he's five <laughs> So um, um, he's like, I'm going to be there on 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 Friday. And anyway, I was just when when you were on, I, I was just texting him and I was like, yeah, I'm going to make sure I'm going to wear sweatpants and make sure I have a heart on. <laughs> and then and then I said, actually, <laughs> I think you'll appreciate it. I was like, actually, I'm going to have like half a heart on to keep people guessing. <laughs> uh, yeah half mast yeah <laughs> so anyway thanks hi of course yeah, you yeah. Don't that. no yeah, i'd love I, I i'd love to i look met a guy who can't draw and make humor out of the penis uh i don't want to be friends with so i don't okay. even know i don't know this band that go to beds i've seen i've seen people i've seen my friends from back home like you wear their shirts so i'm gonna check them out but it's because that's hilarious that he signed it that way yeah yeah well i've been i've been having to like sign uh books mm -hmm. and so it's always with a sharpie and for a couple of book plates i i like i drew dongs like i drew stick figures with giant <laughs> dong and um <laughs> because you know when somebody hands you a sharpie basically mm -hmm. the dick draws itself yeah exactly like, yeah. I, I went to college with uh, these two guys my freshman year, and they were both real bros. They were very, um, uh, they, were, they were in great shape. You know, they, they kind of like were the two, they were bullies, but you didn't want to like piss them off. Because I think they, they small town Ohio, they, they know how to fight. And yeah. uh, one of them would always draw um you know like on high school dorms they would have the whiteboard so it's like yeah. hey i stopped by your place you know whatever the, one of the guys would always draw 
he, he was a good drawler. So he would always draw penises. He would always draw, and he would always draw like one guy fucking another guy from behind, or they're both jerking each other off, you know? And he did this for everybody, but he never did it on my whiteboard. And after a while, I was you were hurt by that. I was hurt. I was a little left out. And I was like, I finally like one day came up to him and we weren't that good of friends, but I was like, or friends at all, really. And I was like, hey, you never, you never draw on my uh, whiteboard. And he's like, ah, I'll get around to it someday. And one day I came home from class. And you were like, I want to be part of the circle jerk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, include <laughs> me. You know, you can put it in my mouth. I don't care. <laughs> So I, I came home one day after class and he had painted his masterpiece. My whiteboard <clears throat> was everybody on the floor, the dorm floor, having their turn at me. And he like drew, like I'm like in the middle and like I have a big hard, hard dick and it's squirting, but I'm like looking around and everybody is just, their dicks are right in my face. And I should have kept it. I didn't keep it. Taking a picture, right? I didn't. Even, yeah, it was very. It's pre uh, things, you know, owning our lives. I didn't. I guess I could have had a camera, film camera, but yeah. Um. Well, that's a great way to start all of this off. <laughs> Man, dude, I I love your book. Um, oh, thank you. I really. First of all, I'm always a little skeptical when people like are like, "Hey, I wrote something." And I'm always, will you read it? And I'm always like, uh, yeah. But this was, this was surprisingly very, you're a very good writer. I was like, oh man, this is good. Like, it's not just the subject matter, which kind of hits home for me in a lot of ways. But I was like, no, this is actually, this, this guy can string along a few sentences. And, um, but it, it took me a while to read it because I kept having to pause anytime you brought up a band. Like if you brought up Appalachian Death Ride or, or Cheater Slicks, who I love, I was like, oh, I'm going to go listen to them. So then I would just go and play like a record or something. And then I was like, oh, I pick up the book again. So this took a long time, but it's, it's so yeah, good. There's so many bands in there. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, thanks. Thanks, Mike. I, I, I appreciate it. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's weird. And, and, and it's it's kind of like I, I imagine it's one of those things too. Like if you know somebody, mm -hmm. right? Like it's like how I used to think, or or sometimes having that tendency. If you hear a local band, you're like it's you're even more skeptical, right? Yeah. Um. You know, and, and I mean, as somebody who puts out a lot of records by local bands, right? Pretty much only. Um, like if somebody tells me to go listen to somebody, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, like there's just a, a, a distrust there. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you like the book. Well, I mean, it's, it, it's hilarious at times. There's a lot of funny stuff, a lot of funny stuff dealing with uh, your Hungarian family, which is like not unlike my Greek or Polish side. Um, and at times it's heartbreaking. I, I like I teared up a couple times. Um, it's 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 a real. I mean, it's a real ride. I love it, and um, I feel like almost right off the bat we should, for people who don't 
haven't read the book or don't know you yet, I feel like we should establish the three main characters of this book, which is all true. They're all true stories, but there's you from, uh, where are you, you're from Youngstown? No, I lived in Youngstown. I was actually um, kind of lived all over. I, I sort of like to say I, I'm from Athens, mm-hmm. but I didn't go to high school there. Mm. So I went to high school in Western Ohio near Springfield. Okay. So it's, it's, it's kind of weird. Like I, I, but I lived all up and down. Like I lived in Youngstown, I lived in New York, I lived in Virginia. So I went to 10 schools, but the majority of my life was in Ohio. Yeah. There's you, there's a gentleman named Jerry Wick. And there's a lady named Jenny May Leffel. Did I say that right? Yep. Yeah. 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 And it is the three of you sort of meeting each other and being intertwined in this roller coaster of what young adulthood is. And the the sort of, uh, you know, the pitfalls one can fall in when they don't know how to handle things, you know? Um, and that's it's something that I, so there's a lot of drinking in this book. There's a lot of drugs. There's a lot of, you know, people who unfortunately pass away. Um, but like I said, there's a lot of laughs and a lot of, uh, you know, great stories. But let's, let's start with you and Jenny. Jenny is a, a super talented songwriter, um, but just had something inside her, right? Just that wouldn't let her go. Yeah, I, I tend to think, um, well, one, every bit, I think most people know somebody like Jenny, mm-hmm. whether it's in some sort of creative scene or not, but like everyone mm-hmm. knows somebody who has a severe mental illness. Yeah. Um, I think depending on what community you're from, like it might be hidden or it might be, um, that person might be supported or whatever it is. But, you know, like we we were born in the 60s and the, 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 the book basically takes place from the mid eighties until, until they, until Jenny dies. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what was interesting about her was one, she, we were high school sweethearts. We started dating my senior year, mm-hmm. our senior year. Our, it was weird too, because our lockers were always next to each other, but we never really talked. Um, I was just kind of this really outsider kid who was kind of the class clown. <laughs> um, it was a very small high school. I think there was, you know, like a hundred people in my graduating class or something. Um, and we didn't really have clicks because it was, it was a farming community. So you were either a farmer or, or a factory worker, um, or you were completely isolated, or you were kind of like me who just kind of got along. Like we didn't even have jocks, like all the jocks were farmers. So, um, <laughs> I kind of got along with everybody, but I was, I was in trouble a lot because I would mouth off. Yeah. I, I was a wise ass. So I never really spoke to Jenny because she was always in like the college prep classes. Um, she, Cause she was like national honor society, but she was like, 
she was super funny, but she never got in trouble because she was so charming. <laughs> and um, so we, we started dating my, my senior year, which I think that story is, you know, that first kind of meeting, romantic meeting um, is, is in the book. Uh, and then we went off to college together. Well, she, she went to Ohio State and I basically followed her to Columbus. I, I went to Otterbein and dropped out after a quarter. Um, and she had good grades and she was in the, in the Ohio State marching band, but she also was extremely creative and, and started writing these songs. Uh, some, she started in high school, she would sing her brother and sisters to sleep. Really, and the songs were very much kind of like Daniel Johnston-y songs. She, she, she had a, like, a, like one of those organs, kind of church organs in, uh, in her basement. <clears throat> and she could trill her voice. So she would do these like uh, kind of Walt Disney, Snow Whitey song, like <laughs> it's singing that voice. Mm-hmm. But she also drank a lot. And we, we drank a lot in high school. I mean, that's kind of what you did in Ohio, especially rural Ohio. When there wasn't yeah. to do, you drank. And the drinking age was it was eighteen when I was in high school. Um, but it became apparent after we moved to Columbus that she had other issues going on, and this being the eighties and the lifestyle that we were living which was involved music and bars and we found our community um through music you know the indie rock scene and Mm -hmm. going to to shows and a lot of other sort of like-minded misfits and so the behavior that she was engaging in which was involved a lot of drinking but we were pretty obnoxious you know we were pretty Mm -hmm. out of control which was normal for us you know, it was normal to drink five, go out five nights a week and see shows. Yeah. Um, We didn't have very, we didn't have any responsibility except to work our jobs that sort of begged you not to be responsible, right? (laughs) Right. Uh, And um, she, she, her mental illness was she was schizoaffective disorder, but she was not diagnosed until her 30s. So combined that severe diagnosis with a she's the heaviest drinker I've ever met in my life yeah so and you've met a lot of heavy drinkers and I that's what I work with yeah I've met a lot of heavy (laughs) drinkers and I was a heavy heavy drinker Um, yeah and and she always downplayed my drinking yeah I mean she was like oh you're not really even when I when I quit drinking she would be she would say I'm really proud that you quit drinking but you were never an alcoholic and I was like really (laughs) um so that behavior is sort of um expected does that make sense like we all know somebody like that right like sure and we've all had friends who've died from i I mean i know you have personally yeah um and so yeah, so 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 that's that's Jenny, and then and then with Jerry, we we met Jerry. Jerry was in this band, Gaunt, um, this punk band. It, it and I have to say, like, 
to clarify, like punk in Ohio is not like punk in California or punk right, very different from New York. It is, yeah. it's very blue collar and mm-hmm. it's usually pretty somewhat arty too. So you think about Perubu or the Dead Boys, that there's usually a lot of guitars, but um, it, I, I always think there's like a tinge of classic rock or yeah. a crazy horse to it. It's, it's very Midwestern. It's very rusty sounding form of punk rock. Mm-hmm. It's very rock, like rock and roll, rock and roll. So it's not, it's, so it's, it's very different. So w- I always feel weird about saying punk rock from Ohio because right. it doesn't fit the classic sense. I mean, people could say, yeah, the dead boys, but you know, Perubu, definitely not, but they were a punk band, you know, Devo yeah. too. Like there's just a weird, there's a weirdness not weirdness factor to it so anyway gaunt was a punk band mm-hmm. um and hold, hold up my daughter's coming in can you can we pause it for a second well we, yeah we'll just keep going but, or keep rolling but yeah you're fine do what you gotta do so um but jerry was was in gaunt and jenny and i met him at uh an ohio state bar that a lot of sort of underground bohemian types whatever hung out at larry's i, I don't know yeah. if you ever went there oh yeah oh, all the time um this was another like your book was a a sort of uh remembrance of great places that that campus used to have from larry's and stashes and uh i mean bernie's is no longer there which is a sad yeah, they're all gone they're all they're gone, all gone. It, it, the, th- the weird thing about uh, Larry's is my mom met my dad in, at Larry's in the early 60s. So <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, so we met Jerry at, at Larry's, um, and I was working at Use Kids Records. I was working at a couple different record stores, and Jerry came in all the time. I was like, oh, uh, yeah, you, you, you come in. You're the guy that comes in all the time smelling like pizza because he worked at Donato's. <laughs> and he never took a shower. So not only did he smell like pizza, he smelled like old pizza. <laughs> <laughs> like, like a dog would have a heyday smelling him. <laughs> because it, like every sort of like prehistoric pizza, you know, uh, he was like a, like a geologist of, of pizza. So um, that's how I met Jerry, and, and he was extremely funny as well, but he was a, a cankerous type that really liked to push your buttons, so even, mm-hmm. you know, he was my best friend for a couple of years, and he would literally make me cry because he could be so mean, Yeah. Um, but, you know, so he used humor and his wit to pull you in, but at the same time repel you, mm-hmm. um, and as a social worker, like, I, you, you know, I try not to, like, diagnose people, but looking back at him, I can only imagine, like, what his childhood would like to, to make him do the things that, that he did. So, and, and he had a severe drinking problem and depression. Yeah. So, um, so the, yeah, we all met, like, in our early 20s and just, um, became fast friends and, and, and hung out. Yeah. So. Yeah. Reading this, I mean, I saw a little, not a little, a lot of myself in all three of you. I mean, I, I haven't drank in over eight years, but you know, my time in Ohio, I mean, I was a horrible alcoholic by the time I was in my early twenties 
And it just, the one thing I, I, I think that's interesting is like how, how quick, like how you can build up this lifestyle and then it gets away from you. Yeah. And, and one of the things about it is like, you don't think about like, oh, I need at 22 or 23 or whatever. Rarely are you the person who's like, I need to stop drinking. I, I'm an alcoholic because so much of what you're doing is kind of hilarious. It's fun. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. And, and it's your community, right? Like yeah. it's your peers. It's your, and especially if you love music or yeah. love the arts and you're in that scene with a lot of creative people, it's just part of it. Um, I think it gets a little bit different when people start using hard drugs, like, mm -hmm. like that the bottom rises up rather quickly, but I think with, with alcohol and, and probably even somewhat with, with cocaine, um, people can go and go and go and go with it for a while. I think eventually the cocaine catches up quicker than the alcohol. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I remember uh, Jerry and I, like when we would meet people who didn't drink, we were like, why? Like you're yeah, missing you out. Yeah, you're a foreign person if you're doing that. It's like I don't yeah, understand yeah. you on a on a core level. It's like I don't get what you're doing. Um, I have a friend of mine, Joe, who was in um, who was in a like a noise rock band, and he was uh, a heroin user, and he disappeared. Like mm -hmm. he just disappeared one day, and we had just known so many people who died, right? Like that yeah. just disappeared, and so. I just figured he died. Mm -hmm. um, a couple people from that, two pe members of that band did die. Um, and so I, I was like, well, he died, right? Like he was such a junkie, he died. And we didn't see him for like a year and a half. And then one day he walked into Youth Kids and he was shaved and he had short hair and he was wearing a sweater. <laughs> and not like a hoodie, kind yeah. of like, but like a sweater sweater yeah that yeah. was clean yeah and uh he came and bought some stuff and and uh i was like jerry is that joe and and jerry's like hey joe we thought you died and he goes no no no, no i got clean and um i remember like looking at jerry and was like what's that mean he goes he doesn't use dope anymore so it was just su such a foreign and again, this is, you know, the 90s. So mm -hmm. sort of the recovery community was still pretty um, pretty quiet, like pretty invisible, I, I think, at least in the world that, that we were in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one, of my, one of my good friends still to this day reminded me a couple of weeks ago through text. He, he himself had a heroin problem, had to go to rehab. And when he got out, another friend of ours uh, went to his apartment to see him the day he got out. And we showed up with uh, two cases of beer and he opened the door and he looked at the beer and he was like, you guys failed. <laughs> like, we're yeah. like, well, we're, yeah. we're, we're coming in. I mean, you don't have to have a beer if you want to be like that, but we're, we're coming in here and getting shit faced. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. Like there's just this obliviousness there. Yeah. Um, until you until you're sort of faced 
you're forced to face it, right? Like at some point you just, in, in my line of work is, is I'm a social worker and um, I'm a chemical dependency counselor. Um, but it, it, and I, I teach too, I teach at Ohio State, but one of the things that, that I try to teach my students and one of the terms I hate in the line of work I do is that a lot of people like to use this term denial. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm like, don't ever use that word <laughs> because people are well aware when they have a substance abuse problem. Yeah. And they're well aware of the consequences and they're well aware of if they have depression, like people aren't in denial about it. They, they are one, at, they may be ambivalent about addressing it, um, but in their mind, the pros of continuing to use outweigh the pros of stopping. Mm -hmm. And I, I think like when we use terms like denial um, and even terms like junkie or, or alcoholic, it, it's pretty stigmatizing and it, it it's not helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and I know like, like it, it kind of got off a little bit here which, which I tend to do, but when I got sober, that was the language that was used a lot. And it's, and I, I hate to say, like, I don't think, like, I don't think Jenny would have ever quit drinking. I mean, she was given many opportunities. She was yeah. in the hospital and rehabs a lot, but she was always treated by the system and by the people that were supposed to help her with a lot of shame and judgment. Mm -hmm. And the language that they used, and and even when she had healthcare issues, even when she was having hallucinations, the doctors for years would say it was all because of alcohol withdrawal or uh, you know cocaine psychosis, and certainly there was some of that. But um, you know, for years she was hearing voices and seeing things, and and here it was blamed on, it wasn't until she was actually put on an antipsychotic in, in her thirties that was, she was like, oh, I have some relief from this. Um, mm -hmm. Or, you know, the relief she felt when a doctor finally said, this is what I think you have and gave her medication. Um, so part of the book too, I hope addresses those sort of systematic issues like the failure of helping people. Yeah. Um, which for me, and, and I'm in the middle of it, right? Like, like I'm in the middle of the book um, and I'm in the middle of it as a participant. I'm in the middle of it as sort of a, somebody trying to help Jenny throughout mm -hmm. this. Um, but I'm also in the mid middle of it as a social worker who's worked within this system and I, for me, and, and, and I, I, um, I did a, um, interview of the podcast with, um, uh, Jason Woodbury from, uh, for the aquarium drunkard. And he got that. He's like, wow, there's some, there's like systematic issues that, that you address here. And I was like, I'm so glad you get that because, um, you know, while, the story is, is like these two people died and I, and I live, right? And I, I mean, it sounds cliche, but I like devote myself to helping people. Yeah. Um, 
but there's there are certainly reasons why the system worked for me and reasons why it didn't work for her as a woman. Um, and the things that she had to endure mm -hmm. as as somebody who was um, who certainly you know made her life choices and and didn't blame anybody for her choices um, or for what happened with with her life ever. I mean, she 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 always said, "I'm not a victim," but she was because yeah. when there's inequity like that, um, then somebody somebody is not getting the, a fair shake and we should we should take care of those people right yeah yeah i would hope so yeah i'm i'm all for that i mean she is the character in this book that you know jerry's amazing gaunt's one of my i fucking love that band but she is this what am i looking for this like she's present in every page in a way and you know after <clears throat> your time together as partners we should let people know she ended up you know in florida she ended up, she kind of just went everywhere with the wind almost married a bunch of times not always good guys you know um it's just it's tragic part of it reminded me of when i read the book about chris farley of just like oh man there was just this runaway train that i don't think anybody just knew how to handle you know that this guy that this guy was going to end up in this way unless there was some real help there and you know jenny would get sick and hospitalized but it seemed like people would just discharge her the next day you know yeah 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 um it was interesting because she was homeless you know for a while yeah um really for about three years on and off and and she was homeless in in our neighborhood here in Columbus, you know, in Clintonville, the Ohio State campus. And, you know, for somebody so smart and so street smart and adept at like survival, to have that happen was pretty, pretty wild. But it goes to like, it's, it's so weird, Mike, because the way we do things in America as we offer help for people. There's always like, there's always this weird attachment to it. Like, like there's mm -hmm. a little part in the, in the book where um, I'm talking to her and she, like I, I offered to do something for her or something. She's like, no, 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 we, we got to go to this church because they came out to the homeless camp and fed us last night. Mm -hmm. She's like, I hate that shit. I hate, like, we feel obligated to go pray with them and sing their, their songs. And she's like, God, this and God, that, mm -hmm. um, like, why can't you just like feed, feed them? Like, why, why is there expectation they have to go to church or why is this expectation if, if they go into treatment, they have to stay sober or, or if they have to take their medication, wh whatever it is, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's very patronizing. Um, yeah it comes with a you know a little catch you know it's yeah, like here, yeah, here's the food yeah. but also you know we're running this business whatever you want to categorize church or whatever else it is a business you know yeah yeah you gotta, you yeah. gotta keep people in the seats mm -hmm. 
And and with Jerry, was this just a depression issue? I mean, he's he's sort of the romantic artist in this book in a lot of ways. I mean, sort yeah, of. I, I, um, my friend Joel pointed this out. Like he just said, Jerry's like this guy whose life ended early who um, you don't know what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Like he could have in some ways ended up like Jenny, right? Mm-hmm. Probably his skill set was was so good, and he didn't have like a psychotic diagnosis. Like if I was to diagnose him now, it would be depression, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, he 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 wasn't paranoid. He didn't have hallucinations. Um, so his decline would have been longer and maybe more painful with alcohol, or he could have quit, right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in some ways he could have gone this way, uh, like Jenny and died from it. Or, you know, there's a part of me that thinks he could have been like he could have found recovery like like me, you know. I mean, he died tragically, he got hit by a car. But yeah. he was addressing, you know, he was he he knew he had a drinking problem, he was trying to control it. Um the the woman who edited the book, Lisa Carver, um, went out with them briefly. She she lived in Boston and 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 they they went out. But she actually had told me when she was editing it, she said, you know, Jerry was was experimenting with AA mm-hmm. around the period when when she died because Lisa got sober. Um, and I was like, wow, I had no idea. And she goes, yeah, nobody really in Columbus knew. He, he, you know, he felt, um, I think when people live like really isolated and with them themselves, like we, a lot of us don't ever learn how to ask for help. Yeah. And then we yeah. do, we, we sort of joke about it, right? Like it's, there's a danger in being vulnerable. Um, and I think for, for, for myself, so, so there's a carelessness to being vulnerable when you're living that life. Um, but I think when you get into recovery, you learn how to be vulnerable in a different way. There's not a carelessness, but there's like a there's like a middle road, right? There's a, there's there's a way to be able to be vulnerable and ask for help and not be ashamed of it. I know for myself that was a really difficult thing to do, unless unless I was asking help from a woman, because there was a catch there, right? Like like yeah, sure. like, 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 like like there was something else I wanted. Yeah. Um, so um so i think with with jerry there's that thought of his life could have gone either way and and for myself with with, you know getting sober i thought about him a lot Mm -hmm. um about what his life could have been like of in a way some days when i really wanted to drink i would say i'm not going to drink for jerry like i'm not going to drink for jerry Mm -hmm. Um, instead of raising a glass, I was putting a glass down. And I say that to myself sometimes. Yeah. Like these little things I would tell myself um, to keep me motivated. So. Um, yeah. The, the the great comedian, Rick Shapiro, who I was friends with uh, in my early days of LA, would often tell me that because he had, he had been 
sober or had still sober to this day um, for such a long time. And he had sort of seen me because I was drinking then. And he was like, you got to be able to negotiate with those voices. And he's like, you got to yeah. be you got to be OK with the hammer that's hitting you in the back of the head in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Like you just got yeah. to live with it. It's it's a lot. Yeah, I think that's that's really what I learned with my own sobriety was like really learning a lot about acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 also for me it's interesting, uh, Mike, because I have people who who read the book, and and so much of it is like, wow, I'm really sorry you suffered so much, and and I my my thought is like I haven't suffered more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know people who died and we all know people who've died tragically. We've all had yeah. relatives like, you know, my, my mom hasn't died. Um, you know, that's going to be a tragedy in my life, but like, I think what, what they're really saying is I identify, but it's almost easier to say, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know how to phrase it. Maybe it gives them the opportunity to feel in a way that's scary for them. Mm-hmm. Because I certainly don't think I've suffered more than anybody else that, you know, people are like, I'm sorry for your friend's loss. I'm like, well, fuck, Jerry died 20 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, Jenny died four years ago. It's, it's not, it's, it's just what it is. Maybe I describe it well, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, like I, I said, it is well written. I mean, it has brought a tear to my eye, but it also was super funny at times. So, you know, that's yeah, life. Yeah. That's and I'm what so happens. glad you get that because I want people to laugh more than anything else because I, the, I, I wrote it to tell them how I knew them, not to tell, <clears throat> not to tell like this, this, the, their life, the arc of their life ended in tragedy. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why um, it's formatted the the way it is, like yeah. how it jumps around. Yeah. I mean, Jerry's passing comes in the middle of the book in a way, and he's still around yeah. till the end, the book was, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, you know, you do you do such justice to both of them. I mean, you you really painted them. I, I didn't know either. You know, I, I love Jenny's music. I really love Jerry's Jerry's music. I mean, your the book is titled love death and photosynthesis which is a song jerry wrote it's one of my all-time favorite songs it was off a uh compilation that you put out a long time ago um but no i they 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 come alive to this book i mean you brought them alive back you know for however long you read the book and it's really touching it's really beautiful and uh Let's talk about their music because that's I do want people I want people to read your book, but I also really want people to go to YouTube like I did and start making these playlists and, you know, going down going down the road of these bands that we both love. So Jenny's music, how would like where would you direct people? How would you describe it? I mean, some of it sometimes torch songs in a way and like kind of weird. Yeah, You know, she was she was really interesting because. um well, they both were because they both loved, loved, loved music. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jenny had no pretension about music. Mm-hmm. Like she, if she heard a song, 
and she enjoyed it. She really enjoyed it. Like, I, I, I mean, you know how the scene can be, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, especially when you're younger, like, oh, I could never like this or I could never. But she loved everything. Um, and, and she had, you know, she had her favorites. She loved, loved, loved the Beach Boys. Yeah. What's weird is I actually think her favorite Beach Boys record is the Christmas album. <laughs> it's pretty it good. She played it all the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, year all, you know, didn't matter if it was, you know, holiday season or not. Um, you know, she loved the Beatles, but she also liked, she loved Pollard. She loved Got, Guided by Voices. Yeah. Um, she loved pop music. She also loved jazz. She, and she, she loved Dixieland and Ragtime. Um, I think her favorite performer ever was, was Billie Holiday. And she would, once she loved something, once she got a song, she sometimes would listen to one song for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, yeah, I do that too. Like in, like in a drunken stupor. Like, and I'm not saying like for two hours, she would listen to the same song for 11 hours in, <laughs> in a row, which is which was weird. But she also had this amazing gift of just very much like Pollard, um, especially, you know, in the early 90s of, just these fantastic melodies that would just kind of fall out of her yeah um and she that there's a a record coming out um that's a compilation of her earliest demo recordings and um some singles she recorded for a bunch of different labels in in the 90s she only had two full full full-length records Mm -hmm. um and then she was making a third record when her life really fell apart. But there's a, her very last recorded song is on this record. It was recorded about six months before she died. Actually, it's on, it's on Spotify now. It's called, um, Jesus Christ, it's called Not Another Bad Year, which is... <laughs> and her voice is really hoarse, but uh, it's like the fucking song is so good mm-hmm. the hook is so strong so that's that's kind of it, it is is some of the stuff is very sort of indie twee sounding because um like her first record was recorded entirely on a four track Tascam, mm-hmm. um and then her second record was recorded in a pretty big studio so you can really tell the difference one is one is very kind of raw and basic sounding and the other is pretty lush um and her songs are very pop yeah they're usually fairly short um she she had a pretty incredible voice uh not necessarily a sexy voice i think i write about her voice that like just her voice in one chapter, like the way she talked, the way she sang. Um, in live, she was either like amazing or she was terrible. Yeah. There was no middle ground. Yeah. And and um, it, it was just hit or miss and you fucking never knew what you were gonna get. Uh, Jerry's music is very, it's, it's very northeastern Ohio sounding, so 
like he grew up in Parma, which is a suburb of Cleveland. And he was a year or two older than me. So when he was in high school, he was listening to a lot of the, the Cleveland bands, you know, uh, Dead, Dead Boys, um, Death of Samantha, um, uh, Spike and Vane, uh, which was a, like an early prison shake band. Like he was listening to all of that stuff, as well as what you listen to when you're in Northeastern Ohio in the 70s and 80s, which was like Springsteen and Michael yeah. Stanley and great class, you know, w, WMMS. The Buzzard. <laughs> yeah, the, the Buzzard. Um, but even like Funkadelic. So, so when I met him, he was so well versed in music. Yeah. Um, and when Jenny met me in high school, like I turned her, like she, you know, 1985, um, 86, like she, she had never heard REM or The Replacements or Elvis Costello or um, Waterboys or, or whatever I was listening to, right? Who's mm -hmm. do? Um, that she had never heard that, but I had to dig for that stuff when I was in high school. Lou Reed, she had never had any, and I remember like playing her Lou Reed for the first time, and um, she was like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> um, and I was like, "This what, is what, like my hero." <laughs> yeah. Do you do you remember what you played? Um, I probably well, you know, I probably played her like "Walk on the Wild Side." Yeah. Um, or it was where I might have even played her new sensations. It was those like I had that that greatest hits that had, you know, I think the first song on that is is Walk on the Wild Side. Yeah. Um, the summer I discovered him, I, I was I was spent a summer in Athens, Ohio, and it, working at a at a Mexican restaurant, cleaning chickens and getting drunk. Um, and they had they had new sensations on mm -hmm. the, the guy had a tape new sensations was on one side of the tape and on the other side was rem reckoning wow. and like so that whole summer that's what i was listening to wow. but my first paycheck i went to um, the two record stores in athens and i bought every lou reed record in town and then when i got home that summer after working, I went to Woolworths and I found like three more Blue <laughs> Reed records in the cutout bin because like all his 70s records were. So, you know, by the time I was 16 years old, I had like eight Blue Reed records. Um, I love which it. Which is pretty cool. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I remember discovering Transformer at a Sam Goody, you know, like once a week I could go buy like a, a, a cassette, you know, it was cassettes back then. Then <clears throat> I would just walk around and I would just randomly grab things, be like, does this look good? I don't know, you know? And I remember grabbing Transformer and flipping, it was on the back of the cassette, right? No, it was on the front. The guy, his dick, the hard to come back to a hard dick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, is it, is, yeah, there's like a trans, uh, like a transvestite on the back. I mean, you're not supposed to use that term, but yeah, right? But yeah, and I, I just remember thinking like, not like that I was turned on or anything, but it was just like, I'm not, I'm not supposed to have this. And that's what I went and <laughs> bought. And I like snuck it home and I listened to it. I listened to it for like a week straight and loved it. And then I left it out and my mom was cleaning my room because she has super OCD and is cleaning 24 seven and came into my room when I wasn't there, saw what I was, her young son was listening to. 
and pitched that shit. <laughs> and I was like, no. Oh my God. Yeah, I just threw it right away, threw it, threw it right in the trash, which only made me love it more. This is what parents don't yeah. understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you, I can't have this. Well, I'm going to have it. And I'm going to buy, like, yeah. Um, where did we, where did, uh, there's also a funny Lou Reed story in the book. You want to tell it real quick? Yeah. So, um, is that when I met him, right? Yeah, when you met yeah, him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was 17. I had just graduated high school. It was that summer I I gra- I graduated. And Jenny, he he played um public hall up in Cleveland. So we got, you know, my giant car, what whatever it was, um, and drove up to Cleveland and saw him, obviously. I'm trying to think who opened up. Maybe the Dell Lords, I don't know. I think it was the Dell Lords, and uh, which was weird because they're like I don't know if you're familiar with them, but it's ex dictators, but like they're a very like New York Springsteen esque band. They don't sound anything like the the dictators. Anyway, so we drive up, we see Lou. Um, I brought my records with me, like I brought some of the records with me. So we went out back and waited by the stage door for him yeah and he came out and uh so i met him and so he was he was he was a short man so he was like my size (laughs) and he uh he was like how old are you and i (laughs) and i said 17 we drove 100 miles to see you and he basically was like, really? You're 17. And he's like, that's cool. Like he almost said it to himself. Like, <laughs> that's cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, and then, then he signed the records and, and I mean, it was, it was, <laughs> it was so like, I, of course I still have the records. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. And you can't, you can't, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, I was going to say, so that this other, and this isn't, I don't think this story is in the book. It, I, I probably wrote about it in my blog, but a couple of years later, during the New York tour, he played Columbus. And um, I was at Larry's the night before, and um, this guy, Rob Wasserman, who was his bass player on that tour, who actually ended up playing bass with, um, the Grateful Dead, mm-hmm. and I recognized him. He was at Larry's, and and so he was he was sitting there with Glenn Mercer, who was in the Feelies, and I recognized him. And I was wearing this weird. I was managing this corporate record store on campus, so I was like wearing, I don't know, Dockers or something like that, <laughs> and like a, like you know, and I was hammered because I was I was a, and I was like, oh, that's that's Rob Wasserman, and that's. So I walked up to the table and because nobody knew who they were. And I was like, hi, you're Rob Wasserman. And he was like, how do you recognize me? And I was like, oh, because, you know, I have that record in. And I had he had a record called Duets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, yeah, I have that Duets record. And I said, you're Glenn Mercer, who is and he was Glenn Mercer was an asshole to me mm. because he made fun of what I was wearing. Oh, uh, that's not um, good which was shitty like yeah. it was shitty yeah and but then next to him was um 
Mike Rathke, who was the guitar player um, for Lou. And he said, well, we're playing tomorrow. Do you need tickets? And I said, um, I said, no, we, we have tickets. And, and he, he was like, where, where are they? And I was like, oh, look, like they're in the balcony. That's all we could afford. He goes, well, I'll make sure you have better seats. Um, so like we got to the show and, and we had like third row front seats. And then um, they filmed it. And so they filmed the busload of faith video there. And um, in that video, Jenny and I are in the video. <clears throat> oh, that's that. cool. So, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of weird. And what I also remember about that show was um, like, we were right up front and Mike Rathie pointed at me and like, like he pointed at me during the show and gave me a thumbs up. And, you know, when, when you're like 19 years old, that's everything. It's yeah. everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. And there's so many great cameos in this book of, I mean, the Ramones show up, you have a similar kind of hilarious story that I, I, I think you should tell that too, not to pimp you for all these stories, but this, this one uh, made me happy too. Yeah, so John, I, I, so Johnny would always, Johnny's a huge record nerd, yeah. everything. So he would come in and buy records all the time. Yeah. They, they, um, you know, they were very much sort of like the grateful dead of punk, right? Like they, yeah. they had their circuit and, you know, they never made any money off, off their records ever. Um, and, you know, right now they, they make more money right now that they're all dead than they ever did. <laughs> right. So, um, so they would, they play Columbus like every year, right? Or, or every other year and they would go to the record stores. So, um, they used to go to use kids. Now the, the weird thing was because Johnny, um, and Joey didn't like each other. Right. Um, so they had a deal, they would go to the store separately because they didn't want to shop together. So, um, so at Used Kids, we had the, like the used side where we sold, um, sold used records and CDs was kind of the CD side. And we also sold like the new stuff. So I, I was the buyer. And then we had next to us, like you had to leave the store and go to the annex. That was the collector side. So we had this English guy who worked there who was super ego. His name is Keith. Um, and so Keith came over and he was like, hey, mate, Joey fucking Ramon is next door. And I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool. Like they come in every year. And, <laughs> and I was like, in a couple hours, um, Johnny will show up. And uh, so and, and they would just hang out. There was a guy who worked who worked at at used kids who used to uh, work at this place called Capital Records. And his name was Captain, and they really liked him. Like a lot of musicians would come to town and just hang out with with Captain. Like Lemmy would come come in like like when when Motorhead would play. Um, and so like Joey just hung out, you know, for a couple hours, and then Johnny came in. And then, you know, Keith ran back over, you know, a couple hours later, he's like, Johnny's over there. I was like, yeah, I told you he'd be over there. <laughs> so, um, 
so you know I, I johnny came back over and, and i rung him out and he's like hey do you guys want to go you know um you guys want to go to the show tonight and we we're like yeah 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 that's great so um so we, we close up shop we have a few more drinks we walked down to the newport and they said go to the back and, and we'll we'll have passes for you so we we go to the back you know by the stage door and you know at this time i'm not 19 anymore right like i'm 25 i'm a little little jaded a little too cool for school or, or whatever and so so we go up and um the stage made like joey comes out and he's like hey guys we, we got your passes and then their stage manager comes out but the guy from the newport is yelling at him because apparently somebody in their road crew let all these girls in <laughs> and so the guy from the newport was like none of your passes are good none of your passes are good everyone backstage has to clear out and so keith was like so they're arguing and, and joey's standing there and um keith is like He's like, I really want to see him. I really want to see him. I was like, Keith, it's fine. So Joey actually says to the stage manager, you know, the, the guy from the New Newport, he's like, we're not playing unless those two guys get in, which I just found fucking absurd. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, no, really, it's okay. It's okay. And so, so, so they said, well, wh why don't you go to Detroit tomorrow? But I was hammered. And I was like, mm -hmm. I'm not driving to Detroit because I know how hungover I'm going to be. And I was like, that's not going to work. Um, and they said, okay, we'll go to Cincinnati the night after that. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, oh, okay, we, we'll, we'll, we'll go to Cincinnati. So we're leaving and this guy runs out after us and he's like, hey, hey, hey the guys feel really bad um, about that. I just want to let you know. And here, come, come to the tour bus. So we go to the tour bus with them. He's like, I'm their bus driver. He's from Poland, Ohio. And he goes, he goes, really, they're really embarrassed. They feel really bad. He goes, I want to give you this. And he gives us this giant bag of weed, <laughs> like, like one of those big Ziploc baggies. Yeah. And, and I'm like, I don't smoke. I don't need it. And Keith is like, I'll take it. And he sticks it down his pants. So then we, we go to this punk rock club called Crazy Mamas. I know this is turning into a long story, but no, I love it. It's good. Yeah. So, so we go to this punk's this punk kind of new wave, you know, why do punk rock guys go out to new wave girls bar? Um, and we go there and it, it like everybody, like Goss hung out there and then old punks and new punks and new wave girls and whatever. So we go there and it was like a weird vibe. And there was a bunch of skinheads there. And um so we go and I'm, I, I'm, we're pretty drunk at this point. So I was like, Keith, let's, let's go. Like, I don't want to hang out here. And Keith was sort of shorter, but at, at the time when, when I drank, I was sort of known as somebody who would fight. Like mm -hmm. I didn't pick fights, but like, I didn't back down from, from fights. Yeah. Um, and so Keith comes up to me and he's like, that fucking skinhead is is you know not picking on me but what whatever the guy he's like he's fucking bothering me so me being who i was like i went up and it was the guy was huge <laughs> um 
and he's got like like this big you know in, in my mind he's like the orange creature from looney tunes from bugs from looney yeah, yeah, tunes, yeah. but he's not <laughs> but in my mind he is right like he's giant and he's got like these these shorter uh smaller skinheads do you ever see the wanderers oh yeah great movie yeah yeah, yeah. so so he's he's the big baldy guy, right? Oh yeah, 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 totally. yeah. And with his little tiny, <laughs> tiny, you know, scrappy dudes yeah. next to him. So, so I I went up to the biggest one and I was like, "Hey, are you fucking with my friend?" And and he was basically like, "Yeah, like, yeah. What are you gonna do about it?" Oh shit! So you. um, <laughs> so I punched him. Yeah, which was just stupid, um, <laughs> like really dumb. So. I punched him and like he he hit the floor um but it wasn't smart because they all attacked me right which was like don't get in a fight with skinheads that's like that's if i give my son any good advice it's going to be like <laughs> don't don't get in a fight so um they because you know why because they fight like bitches they, they do they don't do it one-on-one they your book it does capture yeah. but it's all it's always true those people always they pack on That's what it was so yeah so i mean they i got thrown across the table and i was on the ground and they were they were fucking kicking me hard and i remember yeah. holding on to one of their legs um because they were fucking kicking the shit out of me and somehow like I got away, like in this melee, I, I, I run away and I run down the stairs and I run all the way down high street. And I don't know what happened to Keith, right? And I have blood all over me because I got the sh shit kicked out of me. Yeah. I mean, my uncle once got the shit kicked out of him and he actually said, they kicked me so hard I shit my pants. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't shit my pants, but I was bloody. So I run all the way down high street to Larry's and I, and I go in and I'm like bloody and I'm getting sympathy from the bartenders, which is great. And because I thought the skinheads had followed me. And um, I'm like, I don't know what happened to Keith because he was a short guy. Mm -hmm. And um, and not from he, Ohio. So. And not from Ohio. Yeah. yeah, he was short and he he wore one of those. Um, He was he was like very, very handsome. And he had one of those like little shell chains you know what i'm talking mm -hmm. about like yeah yeah puka shells yeah 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 <laughs> um and he you know a winsome smile so I, I i said i don't know what happened to him i'm I'm really worried about him and then um he shows up he walks in just all jaunty and smiling <laughs> and and he's like oh he's like thank god you made it i thought they were gonna kill you and i was like what happened to you he goes i ran I was like, thanks. I appreciate it. Because he, he's like, I'm not a fighter. I'm not, he literally said, I'm a lover, not a fighter. So no, what what you are is you're English and you're not from yeah. the so, state of state of Ohio. So I said, um, well, what happened? He goes, Well, two of them chased me all the way down to 15th, which was frat row. Yeah. And he goes, I ran into a frat party and he slammed the door. And um, the, the, they were like, you got to get out of here. Uh, hold, hold on. Do you hear that? There's my yeah. kids. Hold on real quick. Hey, kids. Hold on. Sure.
sorry. Parenting. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yell up, God damn it. Um, so, so he's in the frat house and they're like, you got to leave, buddy. And he, and like, this would be such a great scene in a movie because he, mm-hmm. he looks around and he reaches into his pants and pulls out the weed. And then they, they like usher him into the middle of, of the party. But the story doesn't end there because okay. the, the, we go to, we, we make it to Cincinnati the next day or the next couple of days or, or whatever it is. We get there, we get there kind of late and they, they have passes for us. So we go backstage, you know, we, we saw the show like from the, from the side of the stage, which, which was cool. And they were so nice that they said, we, we wanted to take you out to dinner, but you guys didn't get, get here. So, um, he said, um, um, so anyway, so we're back there and Keith brought his camera. So, um, it's not in the book, but there's, I I think it's on my blog or somewhere. So there's this picture of us with the Ramones because, because he, 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 but what I told him and what he didn't do was they had these um you know those portable costume closets they they have like for Broadway so they had one that you know had the like the white spray painted Ramones like you know like bands have yeah and it had um their leather jackets oh man it just was their leather jackets um that was like their costume right yeah like, yeah it was totally. four fucking leather jackets That's and so uh i was like that is i and i said keith get a picture of that yeah. because that is like that's cooler than a picture of just you and i with them like smiling yeah right yeah, yeah. Well, I, you I agree, know, like, yeah. Like, yeah so anyway that's that it's a long story but no it's great because first of all the ramones are good guys in this i love that i love that yeah like the sweetest people and and the other thing too was um uh, johnny bought the wild angel soundtrack and left it at the store and he said to me that night in cincinnati he goes man i left the wild angels soundtrack can you can you hold it for me and when we're back next year i'll pick it up but they broke up right and I, I still have it. Like it's sitting in my You record. still have it? Oh, man. I still have it. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't give it back. Um, I, I later wrote like the first, I've written three graphic comics. Yeah. Not meaning to write graphic comics. Um, so the first one was that Ramon story. Um, and I actually like when it came out, I was like, man, if anybody knows his wife, I'm happy to send her the the record and how that came about that comic came about was i i wrote about it on my blog and um steve turner from mudani sent me a note and just said that would make a great comic because it's so absurd right yeah. but it actually captures the sweetness of them absolutely you know? yeah and the absurdity that that they weren't going to play a show because two record store guys couldn't <laughs> get in to see them <laughs> Um, I'm going to have sort of one more question. Cause I think only you could probably answer this. Why? And I'm a little biased. I'll, I'll admit. Why are bands from Ohio the best? 
We have the best. We have, I mean, first of all, I want to thank you for writing a chapter on Jim Shepard, who I love. His band's Vertical, yeah, Vertical Slit, V3. He, he's amazing. You can find all his stuff, he, including he does this fantastic cover of my, one of my favorite Bob Dylan songs most of the time. And he, he just nails it. I mean, we have, we've mentioned our mutual friend, Bob Pollard, uh, the Deal Sisters. Um, I mean, it just goes on and on. Bill Fox. I mean, you know, why, why do we have the best music? Um, well, so, so there, there's a, there's a chapter in the book actually just called Ohio. Every mm-hmm. other chapter is, um, a year. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, what I think about Ohio is, is what kind of makes us unique is that we're, we're really like a community, right? Like we mm-hmm. are, it doesn't matter like where you're from in Ohio, you have an affinity towards other cities um, that we're underdogs, right? Like we're yeah. underdogs, like we're the scrappy underdogs who never went. Like mm-hmm. we just don't win. I mean, I mean, I know Ohio State has won national championships, but sure, yeah. You know, for much of my life, they didn't. But our sport te- sports teams are, you know, almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I think you know, with with the music is because we're sort of forgotten nationally, like ignored. But not willful, willfully ignored, but when you stay in Ohio, you make a commitment mm-hmm. that this is, this is what we do, right? Yeah. Like, I don't need anything else, right? Like, and, and even if you leave Ohio, you still have that part of you in it, right? Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. Um, like, we have a chip on our shoulder when we really know we shouldn't have one, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? But, but when you, when you're that insular and you have as many like colleges as we have and really big cities, like it can create a lot of artistic communities where people can, are really sort of left alone to really engage their art, whether mm-hmm. it's writing or or, um, you know, especially music, that it can really ferment and become its own thing without what, whatever else is, is, is going on. You know, for instance, when you think about Ohio music, like you don't think about necessarily Ohio hard rock or metal bands, right. because those were fads, right? Like you think about, um, like you might think about the raspberries or you might think about the Ohio players, when you think about guided by voices or the breeders or Afghan wigs, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, you know, Peruba, like I think all those, those Cleveland bands or, you know, what we had in, in Columbus, like Shepard and the slave apartments and Scrawl and Gone, New Bomb Turks, like all having their own sound because you're you're just creating it for you and your friends right like you're not creating it for either of the coasts or or anything like that and and there's a really deep artiness to what we do in ohio that i think distinguishes us really from other midwestern states totally yeah um 
so and 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 people are usually generally happy of just like playing for their friends right mm -hmm. and and so any any sort of attention we may get from outside of the state is cool um because you know for the most part i would say for most of those bands their parents never gave a shit and who they went to high school with never gave a shit right but their best friends and their bartenders and their girlfriends did and that's yeah. all that counted right yeah not not to tell his story but uh you know there's a great bob pollard quote <clears throat> when he's getting in a he, he was a school teacher putting out records finally breaks and he's but he, at, at times there's some strife and his parents are getting on him about you know you got to like focus you got a family you got to focus on your job and you know bob looks at his i think it's his mom and he goes i'm a fucking genius and she goes, a genius at what? <laughs> and it's like, actually, your son is a genius. Your, your son yeah. is one of the greatest songwriters of all time. Somebody who could, who has written thousands of melodies. Like, let's just say that. Like, whether you are and, into the band or not, for somebody to come up with thousands of melodies. And that's like the hardest thing to write about a song. My feeling yeah. as a fan, yeah. as you know, I'm not a musician of like, melodies are fucking hard to write. Yeah. Yeah, for some people, impossible. I hear bands all the time. Where I'm like, you, there's no melodies in any of this. Yeah, and for, exactly. Like, like, why would you think? I, like, like, it's weird. I get that sometimes. Like, you know, especially with with some local bands, are like, why don't you like my band? And I'm like, you don't have any songs. Yeah. Like, like, if obviously you know who I am. Like, have you ever seen me at a show? I'm always singing along in the front. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not singing along. To your songs because you can't sing along to them. Yeah, there's nothing to sing. I mean, I love telling the story. I mean, like I've witnessed Bob Pollard's genius in person. I saw him make up a song on the spot. We were at a we weren't at a GBV show. I was when I was on in in the band Detective. Yeah, and me and Jim Greer and Bob Pollard are sitting there, and, and I'm not drinking at the time, and Jim Greer's drunk as a skunk and bob pollard's drunk as a skunk and i'm just in between them two of my heroes who are also friends but i mean like you know growing up reading spin magazine like you know yeah it's crazy to me that i read these things and then greer ends up becoming my friend and that i also write for spin now but i'm just sitting here and bob's let's all young people in the show and bob's like they're all wearing hats and bob's a tall guy bob's like six two six three and he's like, I'm looking, oh, I see his hats. I'm getting hat vertigo. And then he just starts singing a song called Hat Vertigo. And it's gorgeous. Yeah. And I'm yeah, just like, yeah. just watching this. And he, there's no, Hat Vertigo has never appeared on a Guided by Voices or Robert Pollard solo or Circus Devils or Mars Classroom or whatever, how many bands he's got. So only I have heard that song. <laughs> the elusive, yeah. Yeah. He, he, I was talking to him a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, he was really sweet. He called me about about the book and he just he, how much he liked it. And so, so we you know, we were actually talking about Ohio and and all of this stuff. And and he he said, you know, most of my records that I do now because I write almost all my songs in a, in like a two week period. Yeah. And then though then I spend the year recording them, which I think is just fucking amazing. Um, that is like that is genius right 
Yeah. And Jenny was also like that. Like she would just sit down and she's like, I got five songs. And they would all be like stupendous, at least with the melodies. She was a little, I think she was a little lazy with her lyrics at times. Um, but she would always use Pollard as an example. And she goes, well, you know, Bob, Bob sometimes just repeats the line over and over. Or, you know, it doesn't matter. His songs are only a minute and a half. Because mm. I would say, you know, work a little bit harder, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once hearing Bob say, uh, a bridge, that's another song. so yeah well Bela I I gotta let you go here but uh, congrats on the book it's fantastic Um, thank you so much and and I know I probably talked way 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 too long but no this was this was entertaining um yeah thanks man and I, I hope people check it out let's let's direct people where they can order it where they can buy it where they can also the photographs I want to give a shout out to the photographs that are yeah, in the Jay, book. Jay Brown is sort of the Charles Peterson, who was the famous photographer of Seattle, is our, sort of the Ohio Charles Peterson. Um, he let us uh, use the photos for free. I've known Jay, um, God, forever. As you can see, and what's interesting about a lot of those photos too is like you actually, most of those photos, I'm in it or Jerry's in it or Jenny's yeah. in it. And we're always up front at the same spot. Um, and, um, you know, of all the photos he, he gave us like countless, I mean, they're all like, they're every photo. There's like either us or a member of the new bomb Turks or, or whomever, like always in, in, in front. So, um, hopefully it would be really nice some days if somebody did a whole book of his. Yeah. They're, they're, they're gorgeous. It's crisp black and white. It almost seems like he's such a good photographer that it, it, it's perfect for the book because it really does help bring you into this world. And again, it's like you brought, all, you brought your friends back to life. You know, it's like, it's, it all works. It's all cohesive. And then I killed them. <laughs> you killed them all <laughs> over again. And just to show you the circle of life, how amazing all this is. One of my favorite photos is of you and Bob's, you're watching Guided by Voices and Bob spitting a beer at you, spitting beer at you which is how you guys told each other you loved each other, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a sign of a sign of respect. To sacrifice beer. Yeah, right. to sacrifice beer. And it's a beautiful, like he caught it right in the moment. There's this long stream that's aimed right at your head. And uh, when I met my friend, Nate Cordry, who I'm about to jump onto a different Zoom to play poker with, um, I went into his bathroom. Oh, he's, and- is he the comedian? He, he's an actor, actor? but he- yeah, yeah, his brother Rob is is a comedian, but both at, were in my all, most of my guided by voices music videos. And when I first went to Nate's house, I went to use the pisser, and hanging above his toilet is that photo. And I was like, hey, oh, that's so funny. Those are my friends. Um, all right, man. Congrats again. Well, thanks, 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 Mike. I might I might hit you up for some because um, I I'd like to go out to out to the west coast and do readings too so maybe i'll yeah let's do it well i'll help you i can help you figure that out that'd be okay. great thanks thanks for having me yep take and care I'll probably see you soon because you're going to come back and make a record right uh yeah eventually probably january yeah thanks again yep later i appreciate it